1: in our series called Dysfunctional Family Feud. <laughs> um, and in the first episode, or week, uh, we learned that dysfunctional families don't show grace. See, the problem is that in dysfunctional families, we mimic what we have already learned. It's like, you know, those, those kids, when you're sitting down with your kids to read a book. I used to do this to my parents all the time. They'd read a book and when I actually learned to read, my dad, you know, would try to like skip ahead cause he was getting tired and he wanted us to go to bed. And I'd be like, dad, you missed a word. <sighs> Have to go back, you know. But, you know, kids who are younger and don't know how to read, sometimes, you know, they'll sit down and they'll open up a book and you'll look and they'll be like, oh my goodness, they're reading. And then you actually look a little closer and you discover they're not actually reading. They've just memorized the book because you've read it to them so many times. Or it's a brand new book and they're just looking at the pictures and making it up as they go along by what the, what's in the pictures. And this is a problem either way when you do this in a family because regardless of the hurt or who caused it, we have to go to God to deal with it, so that we can learn to extend grace to those who have wronged us. And then in last week's episode, (laughs) we met the teams of me, myself, and I. It was really interesting to watch them try to play family feud. Um, (laughs) And we learned that dysfunction comes from sin. All of the brokenness and the hurt and the rejection stem from a sinful nature that was not God's intention for you when he created you. And it's not God's intention for you now either. And this is where it's important to remember, excuse me, the definition of dysfunctional that we are working from. So dysfunctional is something that is not functioning like it was designed to function. It still works, but it's working in a way that causes harm to the system or family that it belongs to. This is the problem of sin It uses the commands of God for its own evil purposes. And the result is that we become distracted from the way that God has designed us to work. See, the world still works, but it's not working in the way that God designed it to. Which brings us to this week's episode. This week! We are going to have an all star edition of Family Feud, and we are bringing back two of our most popular families, the Todd family and the David family. <laughs> hmm, okay. All right. Are we ready? Oh boy! Okay, get it together, guys. Okay, we surveyed 100 dysfunctional families, and we asked them this question: What are the top five issues that produce an unhealthy or dysfunctional family environment? (laughs) David.
0: Okay. Uh... I would say it's kind of like that thing where you work a late night and then you go to bed and then it's like 4.30 in the morning and you're roused from a deep sleep by a crying from the other room and Then you step off the bed. Directly onto a Lego, your breath leaves your body in a silent scream. You go get the child, wake up your wife because she's the one, and then put it. And then I just need coffee at this point, so I go to the kitchen. I make some coffee, then the wife needs help. I gotta go back to the bedroom. Then when I get back to the kitchen, the coffee's burned. So then I have to go to the gas station to get a quick cup of coffee. I figure out the gas tank's empty, so I put the thing in the thing, and I go into the thing, and then I come back, and hey, gas is pouring all over the ground, so I'm paying four fifty-seven a, a gallon to sprinkle the water with Texas tea. I get back in my van, I drive home, I kick my shoes off, I just want to go back to bed, and I step directly on another Lego! It might be something like that. Okay.
1: Well, let's, um, is that... Okay, uh, show me, is that on the board? Show me Lego. Oh. It's okay, it's okay, we forgive you. Forgive you. Wait, wait, how many times have we forgiven Okay, all right, um, interesting. You keep track. Okay, um, team Todd, Todd, you have a chance to steal. I'm ready. Okay, so we surveyed 100 dysfunctional families. What are the top five issues that produce an unhealthy or dysfunctional family environment?
0: you got to do the math.
1: Yeah. Okay, so apparently dysfunctional families do the math. Show me. Do the math. Oh, yeah. Hey, good job. All right, you wanna, you're going to play? All right. Thank you. <laughs> it's. <laughs> so I do have to tell you. Um, A couple weeks ago, um, I'm the one that does the slides for the message. And so I was putting the slides together, and I was playing all the sound effects and stuff. And um, we have a Switch, a Nintendo Switch, and we have the game Family Feud. And my daughter's like, now I just want to play Family Feud. So I'm typing out the slides, and my husband and my daughter are over on the other side of the room playing Family Feud. Anyway. Anyway. A little glimpse into my life. Okay, so do the math. Today's scripture is from the book of Matthew, and Matthew was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, and he wrote a book recording the life of Jesus. And his book is actually combined with three other books in the New Testament that we call the Gospels. And in case you're wondering, Gospel simply means Good news. Good news. So Matthew tells us this. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, (coughs) excuse me, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Oof. So let me set the scene for you here. Jesus was traveling toward Jerusalem for what would eventually end up being his trial and his death. And as he was traveling along with his disciples, he took the opportunity to teach them about living in his kingdom. You see, in his time on earth, Jesus was inaugurating this whole new kingdom, and it worked completely differently. And so he needed to take the time to tell people how things work in a kingdom that functions completely differently from the kingdoms of this world. And so he spent a lot of time telling his disciples, you have heard it said, do this or don't do that. And then he would say, but I tell you, And then he would take that command to the next level. For instance, earlier on in the book of Matthew, he said this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone... You are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa. I'm pretty sure that we can all agree that these words are pretty revolutionary even now. Uh, In fact, I think that I probably came close to murdering someone with my words in the drive-thru at Starbucks the other day. It's really easy to get really close. And see, Peter had been with Jesus for almost three years now. And so he had started to figure out that Jesus liked to take things up a notch. See, Peter kind of gets a bad rap sometimes, but I have learned to love Peter because Peter just said stuff. He just put things out there. And I am convinced that all the other disciples were thinking the same things as Peter, it was just Peter was the only one who had the guts to actually say it to Jesus. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, I've been thinking, how many times am I supposed to forgive someone who has wronged me? I'm thinking, you know, seven times, right? That should be, that sounds like a good number. Now, we shake our head at Peter, and we're like, seven times? Where, where did he even come up with that? What's up with seven times? Here's what you need to know. Religious teachers at that time, so we called them rabbis, rabbis at that time taught that people only needed to forgive someone three times. Someone could sin against you three times, and the rabbi said that you have to forgive them. But if they sin against you the fourth time, you are off the hook. You no longer need to forgive them. And so Peter knew this. And so he picked a number that was more than twice what the rabbis said. He figured that Jesus liked to up the ante, so seven should be a really good number, right? He figured that forgiving someone seven times was more than generous compared to the three times that the rabbis said you should do it. But then, Jesus had to go and ruin things for Peter again. Because he responds with, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I like to like, imagine what that must have looked like, and I like to picture Peter in this moment. And so, Peter's like, oh. so he has to whip his abacus out of his pocket... And he starts doing math. And I can hear him muttering, okay, carry, carry the one plus fifth. Okay. But Jesus' point was not that we need to start using a calculator or just automatically know what 70 times 7 is 490. When it comes to forgiveness, his point was that we need to throw away our calculators completely. Now, students, Do not go to your teachers tomorrow and say, my pastor said yesterday that we have to throw away our calculators. No, that's not what I mean. We need to stop doing the math when it comes to forgiving people and just do it. So then to help Peter understand why he needed to throw away his abacus, Jesus goes on and he tells him this story. Once upon a time... There was this really rich, powerful ruler. Now, I'm going to call him Al, because there's a lot of characters in this story, and it's hard to keep track without names. So, I have named them. The rich, powerful guy is named Al. And he had loaned money to several of the people who worked under him. And one day, Al decided that he really wanted to buy a new yacht. So, he called in the loans on several people. Now, there was this one guy who I'm going to name Scott, And Scott considered himself pretty cool. He was pretty close to Al, and because he was pretty close to Al, he'd been able to borrow quite a bit of money from Al. So Scott had a gorgeous house, and he had multiple cars or, you know, chariots. Um, He had a lake house on the Sea of Galilee, and um, he had multiple servants himself. But the problem was that all of these things that Scott had had been paid for with the money that he'd borrowed from Al. So then, when Al called in the loan, Scott was in big trouble. It was millions and millions of dollars, and Scott didn't have it, and there was no way that he could come up with that kind of cash, even if Scott sold all of those things. Most of those, most of those, excuse me, most of those possessions had depreciated. You like how I use that word, my dear? Yes had depreciated in value so they weren't going to bring... I'm married to an accountant, by the way. Um, Had depreciated in value so they weren't going to bring in the amount of money that he needed to repay his debt. So what does Al do? He says he demands that Scott and his family be sold to pay off their debt. So of course, Scott panics and he throws himself down at Al's feet and he begs for him to have mercy and he promises that he is going to repay the debt in full. So at this point, Al feels compassion for Scott and he decides, "Eh, I probably don't need a new yacht anyway. My other one's only two years old. So he lets Scott go, but not only does he let Scott go, he also completely forgives Scott's debt. In other words, Scott doesn't owe Al money anymore. They're back to zero. So just just imagine the relief that Scott felt when he walked out of that meeting. He was getting away totally free. The weight and the pressure that had been lifted from him must have been tremendous. Tremendous. He probably felt like he could fly. But then, literally, as Scott is walking away from his meeting with Al, he runs into his friend John. And John happens to owe Scott about $2,000. And what does Scott do? He grabs John by the neck and starts shaking him and demands that John pay him back immediately. So, John falls at Scott's feet and he begs him for mercy and he says, look, I just need a few more days and I can repay this debt. It's only a couple thousand dollars. I can pay it back. But Scott, this is where it gets a little weird because instead of being like, yeah, you know what? I know what it feels like to owe someone money. So yes, I'll give you a couple more days. We can do that. Instead, Scott doesn't show John any compassion whatsoever and has him thrown in jail until he can pay back the money. So meanwhile, there are some other people who work for Al, and they witness this whole thing, and it makes them really upset, naturally. So they go and they tell Al what Scott did. So Al calls Scott back in, and he says, Dude, didn't I just completely forgive a huge debt that you owed because you begged me? Don't you think that you should show some compassion and mercy to your friend, John, who didn't owe you nearly as much? And then Al has Scott thrown into a labor camp until he's paid off his debt, which Scott will never be able to do because it was too much. And then they all lived happily ever after. No, I'm just kidding. But then... Jesus says something that needs to make us all sit up and take notice. He says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And with this one little sentence, Jesus turns everything upside down. You see, you have to understand that forgiveness is a choice and Forgiveness is about the condition of your own heart before it is about anything or anyone else. Think about this with me. When you don't forgive someone, does it really affect them at all? No. They continue on with their lives, and sometimes they are completely unaware that they have even hurt you in the first place. Meanwhile, your anger is going to start destroying you from the inside out. It is going to turn you into a bitter and hard person that will live in and create dysfunction. And when I say that your anger will start destroying you from the inside out, I mean it will physically start destroying you. Unforgiveness negatively affects your health. Dr. Karen Swartz from John Hopkins says... Chronic anger puts you in fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Among other conditions, for crying out loud, as if depression and heart, re- and, uh, heart disease and diabetes aren't enough, there are other things that unforgiveness can cause. I had a pastor who used to say, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So you might be asking, why does God care whether I forgive someone? What does it have to do with him? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, then it has everything to do with him. You remember Al from the story... He represents God. And we, we are the people who have owed him more than we could possibly ever hope to repay. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. That is the price. But then he finishes the verse by saying, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, yeah. We have to remember, when it says free gift, the gift is free to us. But the gift always costs the giver something. And not only did our forgiveness cost God something, it cost him everything. It cost him his one and only son. Jesus experienced betrayal and torture and death so that we could experience forgiveness. This is why God cares so much about forgiveness. He has forgiven us a debt that we could not possibly have hoped to repay there is no sin that someone, even a member of your own family, could commit against you that would be as bad as the sin that you have committed against God. There is no sin that someone, even a member of your own family, could commit against you that would be as bad as the sin that you have committed against God let's go back to the story that Jesus told one more time you see you have to understand the huge difference in debts between the two debts and you need to know it understand it in the money of the time so in the money of that time Scott owed Al 10,000 talents now here's the kicker One talent, one talent, was the equivalent of 15 years' wages. So Scott's debt was more than the total budget of an entire province. In fact, the province of Galilee was considered wealthy, and the province of Galilee only had a revenue of 300 talents. This man's debt was insurmountable. Then you need to compare it to John's debt, which was 100 denarii. A denarius was the usual day's wage for a working man. So John's debt was barely anything in comparison to Scott's debt. John's debt was basically chump change. Think about it this way. Pretend that each man's debt was dimes. No, dimes. And John's debt could be carried in one pocket. Scott's debt would require 8,600 people to each carry a bag that weighs 60 pounds. Then if they all lined up a yard apart from each other, their line would be five miles long. There is just no comparison between what others have done to us and what we have done to God. The debt that we owed God was insurmountable, and he forgave it completely. In fact, Psalm 103 says, For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west as far as the east is from the west i can't even comprehend how far that is i have flown halfway around the world to the west and i have flown halfway around the world going east and i still never met East and West. It just keeps going. That's how far God has forgiven. I had a huge, insurmountable debt, and God forgave it. And not only has he, it's removed, as far as possible for it to be removed. It is gone. It is gone. He has forgiven me so much. How could I not Possibly forgive someone else. Now please understand I am totally aware that forgiveness is hard. There are some mornings that I wake up and I have to release something again that I thought I had forgiven years ago. But it came up again and I was like, mm, I gotta let it go. And I know that some of you have deep, deep hurts that have been inflicted on you by members of your family. But if you ever want to experience true freedom, you have to release those hurts to God and forgive the person who hurt you. You will never be able to heal and move forward in your faith if you are unwilling to forgive. And let me just say right at this moment, let me clarify, forgiveness does not necessarily mean going back. It does not necessarily mean going back to a person who has abused you or physically harmed you or anything like that. No, you don't have to go back to them. But you need to release that hurt to Jesus and let it go. If you want to break the cycle of dysfunction in your family, then you must start with forgiveness. Otherwise, you'll be like that child who is reading a book when they aren't really reading it all. And they're just repeating what they have learned or they're making it up as they go along. As we enter into our time around the Lord's table this morning, really, I want you to take some time to reflect. Because you see, the Apostle Paul told us that this time of communion is not a time that we should enter into lightly. And I have a feeling that there are those in this room this morning who are dealing with some deep, deep hurts that they have not yet forgiven. And so I want you to know that this is the time to bring those hurts to the Lord and to release them. Don't let those things weigh you down in the past anymore. Don't allow yourself to be in bondage to what someone else did to you. Instead, I want you to take time to release those to the Lord this morning don't allow unforgiveness to create dysfunction in your life and in your family before you take communion today take the time to work those things out with god so we're going to take some time right now as much time as we need the altar is going to be open if you want to come forward and pray if you need to pray with someone pastor sarah and pastor emily and i will be up here and available to pray with you Bow our heads and take some time right now. Please come if you, feel, if you feel the need. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our
0: mission here at The Table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.